now live at 6 o'clock. KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Smack. I like talking talking sports. Quack Smack. What? Quack Smack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Quack Quack. Quack Quack. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now, let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. Welcome inside the KWVA Studios. It's been about a month since the last time that I hosted a Wednesday show. Uh, I was out last week. I don't remember. Oh, we didn't have a show last week because... We had women's basketball, which we'll get into. I, I was up the last two weeks because I was sick, which <coughs> I'm still getting over. That wasn't even scripted, but we are still still kind of getting over the sickness. Um, a little forced. That, that one was a little forced. I've been sick. <coughs> that one was not. Um, you know, going to try to mute myself every time I, I cough, which has been a, a really fun time when I'm like actually on a broadcast having to do that. Um, and then I w- so I was out for for two weeks because of that, and then a week because of uh, women's basketball. But we're back, we're ready. Uh, Austin Oda, Ben Schoenfield, Beck Parsons making his KWVA debut. Hello, hello. Welcome in, uh, gents. How are we doing today? Pretty good. It's been quite a long week so far, but it's going better. Yes, it has. My uh, my laptop decided to <coughs> forget how to charge <coughs> this afternoon. So Fun. I think I'm getting a new one. Nice. That would make back-to-back days that we've had KWVA members uh, get new laptops. Ryan Milano. Three in a row tomorrow. Oh, yeah. His was dealing with yesterday, right? Yeah. His Let's go home and take John. <coughs> it's a good idea. I, I think that, that works. Um, how are we feeling about, like, you know, heading into Thanksgiving? What what are what are the Thanksgiving plans? I Anyone doing festive things? I have to go up the night before Thanksgiving. Are you going to, to P- P-Town? Portland. Yes, but I have class till 3.20, meaning I'll get oh. to Portland at rush hour. Are they not, like, canceling your Wednesday class? No, I asked my GE on about Terrific. the Wednesday class, and he's like, yeah, no, this professor's never once canceled a Thanksgiving class. So sad. But fine, yeah. Yeah, it just, besides that, it's going to be fine. Beck, what are you up to for Thanksgiving? I, uh, my classes aren't getting canceled either, but I'm leaving anyway. I'm going to go up probably Tuesday about midday, try and hit that nice, like, try to leave in here about 10 to 1, get through mm. both rush hours, because I'm driving up to Seattle. Ooh. Yeah, and, uh, that'll be long, fun. That's a little bit of a drive. Yeah, so. it's not that bad. I have fifteen <coughs> pages to write in the next week. Oh, really goodness. fun. Yeah. What class is this for? Uh, one is for conflict resolution, which is a ten-page paper and five-minute presentation. Awesome. Next Tuesday, and then I have a four-page paper for intro to Greek mythology. What uh, What conflict are you resolving? It's all personal conflict. Okay. So, family. <laughs> Awesome. So fun. <laughs> awesome start to our to our quack smack today. Um, yeah. Let's let's get into it. Oregon women's basketball, a fun start to their season. They have opened their season two and zero with wins against Northern Arizona and Arkansas Pine Bluff, two quality wins against two quality teams. Mm. Uh, and that'll continue this week as they play GCU. Um, <clears throat> obviously, NAU, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Grand Canyon. Neither, n- none of those three are, are, are by any means teams that uh, Oregon should should expect to lose or, or really be a challenge. And that's 
kind of been exactly what we've seen so far. You know, Chance Gray has been awesome this year, um, shooting 50% from three. Grace Van Sluten had a really quiet first half of basketball and then has been insane ever since. Uh, Philly Che has been awesome. I, I think Oregon is just, especially in the starting five, has played really well so far to start the season against two two struggling teams. What, what, what's been the, the, the opening thoughts to the year for the Ducks? I think it's all about size right now and the fact that Philly Che is 6'8". And Kennedy Basham off the bench in the second half is six seven, so it's all kind of fun and games in the paint for the Ducks, and they won't really have that much of a fight with that in the next two games with the tallest player being six three between mm. these two teams. Mm. So, and that's Grace Van Sluten. It's height, and she's five inches shorter than Philly Che. So it's a little unfair. I think it'll be a lot of bully ball in the center, and you can just pass it out to whoever on the wings, and they'll go for it. Right, and it is going to be interesting um, the formation that Oregon chooses to run, because uh, Oregon does have that size in Che and coming off the bench in the form of Basham, but um, they have been considering running a, a three guard system with just one forward in the form of uh, obviously Van Sluten and then Che at the uh, at the five. So I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what schemes uh, the Ducks are able to draw up with um, potentially more guards, but also a larger lineup. I think there's a lot of room for some for mixing it up in there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what 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 the Ducks kind of do these next couple games. I think these are the really the first three specifically are were really good opportunities for Oregon to 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 mix and match and, and see some different things. And I, I think that's what we've seen so far, where we knew what the starting five was going to be coming into the year. You know, it was going to be Peyton Scott, which we'll get into. <laughs> Sophia Bell, Chance Gray, Grace Vincent, and Filipina Che. <coughs> and excuse me, it's been a it's been a tough day for the cough. We've uh, it, it's, it's all the way back today, but um, you know that's a that's a really good starting five. Yes. And then you you kind of knew the first player off the bench was going to be Priscilla Williams or Kennedy Williams, excuse me. And then after that, <coughs> it it was a little bit of question marks. You know, we 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 had a feeling coming into the year Kennedy Basham's role would grow. Um. But that was really the the only proven talent on the roster, and now Sarah Rambis comes in and has some really nice moments in in the pick and roll and pick and pop game where she's really explosive from the elbow from the high post. Uh, as a scorer, she's she's a talented rebounder. We've seen someone like Philippe Tilliander come in and have good minutes, and I think the the biggest surprise for me so far has been Sammy Wagner, who kind of just looks right like like she's a freshman. Technically, she's a redshirt freshman, but it's her first year of eligibility with the Ducks. She came in last year, I believe, in, in January and, and kind of just sat the whole year. With the she graduated early, year. yeah. And I think <coughs> that's kind of showing on the court where she just looks more in tune than, than the rest of the freshmen where she, she recognized the system, and, and I think that that's shown in her minutes. So, yeah, I think, you know, what else are we looking for in the bench outside of that? How, what? I think the Ducks, like we said, have an opportunity to go kind of mix and match this week. Yeah, I, I think especially for <coughs> this upcoming game, they definitely have a chance to see that bench depth and use Bella Hamill, who scored a three at the end of the Arkansas Pine Bluff game. Shout out Lane Legend. Uh, Uma Chamberlain, uh, Philippe Tilliander. But there's only four returning players from last year, including uh, Sammy Wagner. So, actually not including Sammy Wagner. But four people that played last year are still on this Oregon team, and they still look pretty cohesive for that fact. 
Uh, but I'm just hoping to see a little bit more like cohesion and passing the ball around and going deep into the uh, shot clock. Someone else I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of too is going to be Sophia Bell, the freshman guard has been averaging uh, 12 and a half points a game to start out the season, which is good. Um, again, possibly one of three guards on the floor. Um, going to have a, most likely at 6'1", she's going to have a size mismatch. Uh, and among three guards, there's no telling what she's going to be able to do with that. Yeah, and that she's, I would go as far as to say that she might be the biggest X factor for this team this year because, like you mentioned, when they play a three-guard lineup, she's going to she's gonna be the one with the mismatch on most most teams where obviously Oregon isn't going to see a GCU every game where their tallest player is going to be 6'3", but <clears throat> in games where they do play an, another three-guard lineup who's going 5'7", 5'8", 5'10", Sophia Bell is going to have that size advantage. And she is also, out of the three starting guards in, in Williams, Gray, and Bell, she's the one that plays off ball the most. Um, and I think with kind of the loss of Peyton Scott, you need someone who can who can play off ball and who can come around screens. But also, when she does have the ball in her hands, she's she's super, super vicious. She goes she attacks the rim a lot, which has been really impressive. Um, as a true freshman, just there's no apprehension. There, there, sh she knows what she's doing with the ball uh, at all times. So she's she's been really impressive to watch. Um, I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit, but Peyton Scott, that loss is huge. Um, probably was going to be Oregon's top facilitator this year. Uh, eighth all-time in, in assist for Miami. How does Oregon kind of weather this storm without her this year? I think they need just using their bench depth and using, like, they definitely will have to play a different style of ball if they had Peyton Scott in compared to not having Peyton Scott in. Uh, but I definitely do believe that Sophia Bell can step up and also using a lot of like off ball screens and just trying to get people open on the perimeter to then feed inside. Uh, and you mentioned earlier Chance Gray shooting. She's shot nine for 19 from three to start the season these first two games. And if she can stay on fire for a lot of this season, I think they'll have a lot more open looks and easier open looks inside because they'll have to be worried about the perimeter shooting of this Oregon Ducks team, which I don't think they were that much last year. Right. It's going to be really interesting to see how this team finds its identity without Peyton in the lineup. You know, is that identity going to be Shea at 6'8", just locking things down in the paint? Is that going to be uh, Bell, a new <laughs> star, coming out as a guard? Um you know, we don't really know. It's gonna it's gonna take some time to see what uh, see how this team kind of forms up. But you know, Chance Gray and Van Sluten have both been playing excellent in their absence. Even to have one player playing like that right now would be pretty great. And the fact that the Ducks have two um, is definitely a positive sign. With that size we talked about, with uh, with both Shea and Basham coming off the bench, there's certainly a lot of options Oregon Oregon can go for once it decides what team it wants to be. And we talk about the, the facilitation without Peyton Scott. We, we kind of expected Kennedy Williams. We expected Chance Gray, probably a little Sophia Bell, who we didn't expect to be leading the Ducks in assists the two games, Philippi Luce, <coughs> who all of a sudden, okay. you know, has averaged four assists a game with her 11 rebounds and 10 points. She's been awesome. Um, I, I wrote about this for Duck Territory last week. It's it's kind of been, been something that's on the forefront of a lot of people's minds where – yeah, it's gonna it's going to be an advantage to be six eight and literally be able to see over everyone, especially in these early season games. But I think someone like Filipina Che and Grace Van Sluten, who also has seven assists, these are important pieces for Oregon's ball movement, especially 
with the loss of Peyton Scott this year. And I think because of them and because of Kennedy Williams, who's a proven passer, I, I think Oregon should be able to, 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 to survive without Peyton Scott this year. Yes, I definitely do agree with that. And I definitely do agree that having an average of 18 assists a game so far is nice. But, it all, but they have an average of 17 and a half turnovers a game. I'd like to see that number go down because, uh, again, as we've said, the competition isn't quite to the standard of the Pac-12. Just these teams, that's why this is out of conference, like just warming up for the season and still having an average of 17 and a half turnovers for the f- through the first two games. I would like to see that change. Going into these these next couple games, GCU, Santa Clara, again, neither of them necessarily Pac-12 level, but I think it's important for Oregon this year, which <coughs> I wouldn't, I, I would by no means call it a, a rebuilding year because I think there's still so much talent on this Oregon team, but definitely a transitional period for the Ducks where, like we said, there's only four returning players from last year. I was thinking about it. From our freshman year, there was only one player yes. still on the roster, which is just insane to think about that turnover, even in the, the, the NIL era and the, the transfer portal, all that jazz. I still think these early games are important to, to build that cohesion like you're talking about. What are we expecting for these next two games for the Ducks? For these next two, I am expecting two pretty easy victories. Uh, they still have to go in and still have to play the game that they're supposed to be playing. But looking through their schedule, I can see them being around 12-2 and two for through their out-of-conference schedule through their four first 14 games. So I think that they have a very good chance of continuing through this season starting off hot as they did last year until their ranked matchup against North Carolina which they don't have this year but if they start off hot and limit injuries they can definitely keep this momentum going I agree I think a hot start uh, start is gonna be really important just as I look through their schedule right now the first big game that really stands out is going to be against Baylor who's currently ranked 21st uh, on December 3rd but there are, including the GCU game, we have four games between then and now. And there's a good sample of games after that before they get into really playing another high-powered <coughs> team. So if, if Oregon is able to build momentum and maybe they carry that momentum through a Baylor game and a win on December 3rd, there's no telling how far this team really could go before it starts to experience adversity. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think it's out of the question that Oregon is undefeated through the Baylor game, I, I think it would be tough for them to go through their entire non-con schedule undefeated because um, Oklahoma State and, and Baylor are both going to be tough. That's I still yeah. think like there there's a ton of talent on this Oregon team. I think it's shown through the first couple of games. I think especially in the starting five, the Ducks can, can kind of compete with anyone. Yeah. With that said, I do think, you know, 21 Baylor in Waco and Oklahoma State in a neutral site, those are going to be tough games. But again, other than that, I don't really see any any problem games for Oregon. I could even bring that through game one of conference play with yeah. Oregon State. Like I, I, I still think that this Oregon team should have NCAA tournament aspirations. Yeah, and I do agree with that, definitely. Uh, and Baylor should rise in the rankings after beating Utah yesterday, who was ranked number four. Right. So they'll probably be 15, 13-ish because yeah. – Plenty of time. The so. Fun start to, to collegiate women's yes. basketball, by the way. Love a lot of First two knocked off in the yeah. first couple awesome. games. Like The dream. It's been a fun couple of weeks, but as I was saying, 
there's so much movement within the top 25 in the first couple weeks. If somebody gets off to a hot start, they'll rise the rankings really quickly. Right. So this will definitely be a tough game for the Ducks going into Waco. They've been a powerhouse in women's basketball for a long time, going back to having Brittany uh, Griner back in like 2014, 2015. They've been near the top ever since. So that's probably their biggest competition for their non-conference play until like UCLA and USC later on. UCLA, USC is going to be a tough two games. They're only two days apart in early January. But it'll be... I, I think that's the that's the thing that we have to look at. It's it is early January, and Oregon has a lot of time to grow as a team. Yes. They have a lot of time to to kind of you know see how the pieces of the puzzle fit together over the next couple months, and and we'll see. Oregon's non-conference schedule will be fun. They're heading to Arizona to play GCU, and then they'll be back at home on Saturday to play Santa Clara. We're gonna step aside when we come back. My good friend Justin DeHaas from Cronkite Sports will join us to talk some. Arizona State football, Arizona State volleyball, and just a little Pac-12 action. We'll be right back here on Quacksmack. Thanks for listening. Come to decide that the things that I tried were in my life just to get high on. When I sit alone, come get a little known, but I need more than myself. KWVA. 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 America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Dolly Parton's Imagination Library is dedicated to inspiring a love of reading. The organization achieves this by gifting books free of charge to children from birth to age five. The program spans five countries and gifts over one million free books each month to children around the world. If you want your child to receive free books, visit imaginationlibrary.com to check out availability in your area. Imagination Library. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. This is former assistant sports director Adam Sussman. Let's get back to the best show in Eugene, Quacksmack. Back here on Quacksmack on 881. My first guest of the year also happens to be one of my best friends. Welcome in. One and only Justin DeHaas to the show. Justin, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Austin? Oh, I'm doing so well. It's so so great to hear your voice. I miss you a ton. I'm excited to start uh, start talking about some ASU football. Let's start there because obviously the record is not not what you want. Three and seven overall, two and five in conference. But looking at the schedule, really, it's in my opinion one bad loss, and then a bunch of other winnable games. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to just 
kind of say it straight up. I think this is a really easy trap game for a lot of teams. I think it's a, a trap game for Oregon this week. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, when you look at, uh, I mean, you mentioned one loss. I mean, honestly, probably two because you got the Utah one, 55-3, and then you got the Fresno State one, 29-0. But besides that, every other game, ASU's been in it. And I, and I think that's that's kind of an important to note is is looking at the schedule. You know, Fresno State, it's not great to be shut out, shut out by, by Fresno State, especially at home. But a 29 nothing loss there. A two-score loss to USC that – was closer that it was close for for a while of that game a three-point yeah. loss to cal a three-point loss to colorado a game against washington where there were plenty of opportunities and the defense played well and then of course the loss to, to utah but you know two and one over the last three weeks it's it's been a good stretch what has kind of changed in these last three weeks for the sun devils that that you feel like has has kind of turned the tide for them yeah, I think Trenton Bourget, he's done enough to get the victories. I think early on he dealt with some injuries. Talk about that Fresno State game. He got injured in that one. And then he also got injured in the Utah game as well. So, I mean, when you look at why they got crushed in those games, part of the reason is because their third-string quarterback, or I guess maybe backup, but depending on how you look at the depth chart, like he got injured in both of those games. And every other game that he's, been able to play in they've had a chance um i mean they haven't really pulled through in many of those like you alluded to but um yeah i mean look last couple games um you know been able to get some victories and i mean i think him being able to you know be good enough to get you to victory but um i mean last game was really cam scadaboo scored two touchdowns and i mean you know he does everything for this squad one of the best running backs in the pack so I mean, you look at that backfield with him and uh, Borgay. I mean, it's it's been, it's been solid. It's not great by any means, but it, it can it can get you a victory for sure. And, and we talk about the the quarterback position. You alluded to it a little bit. Trenton Borgay has been serviceable over the last couple weeks, especially. But the Sun Devils have had six different players take a snap at quarterback. Jalen Conyers and Cam Scadaboo have had, you know, I I think more pass attempts than either of them would have expected coming into the season. Um. But going into this week, we just got the news yesterday. Jaden Rashada at least is, is is healthy enough to practice. How much of an impact do you think this makes going into this week? Um, yeah, I mean, look, the Rashada news is big. Um, I don't think he's going to play. I think it is going to be Borgay again. Um, but, I mean, if Rashada – the thing is, Rashada can play these last two games and still keep his red shirt because he only played two games to start the season, so – um, I mean, look, if he was healthy enough, I'm sure Kenny would love to throw him out there as he was uh, the starter in week one and two, but um, I don't think he'll be out there. But, yeah, just the fact that he's back and practicing and, you know, looking good, it's it's encouraging to see. And you would like to think that it's uh, hopeful for the future, but with the day and age that we live in with college football, you just never know. But maybe he can end the season well. We'll see. And you, you talked about Kim Scadaboo a little bit. He was someone that, that I think – and for fair reason, you know, kind of fell under the radar in, in terms of the transfer portal this last offseason. But I'm sure I, I, for Arizona State fans, for Arizona State media, he's just been a joy to, to be able to watch. What was kind of the perception of him on in, in terms of the Arizona State media going into the year? And how has that changed? What has it been like watching him this year? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people expected him to be RB1 coming in, but I don't think enough people expected him to really carry the load as much as he had. Um, he's a kid who 
comes from Sac State, was the player of the year um, in their conference. And so the big sky that is, and, you know, he, he took the step up to power five football and that's not easy to do coming from the SDS, but he's been able to do that with flying colors. I mean, obviously as a running back, he's huge, but he has some passing touchdowns. He has some really nice punts. Like he literally does everything for this squad. And he's just a, a Swiss army knife, if you will. And really, really big reason why ASU has the three wins that they do. One of the things that, that you and I have talked about a lot is is just that I, I think we both kind of think this is gonna, going to be a, a bull team next year. This is a team with a lot of talent, and I think that kind of starts with, with the skill positions. We mentioned Cam Scadaboo, but Elijah Badger, Jalen Conyers have both been really, really good this year. What's the outlook looking like, not just this year, but kind of in future seasons at the receiver position? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, when, uh, you know, you start the year with a bull band and, you know, you start with all that kind of stuff. It, it can get you really down, but overall three wins, I think it's probably maybe a little better than expected considering the circumstances. But yeah, I mean, look, you mentioned Elijah Padger. Um, he has been huge for the squad and Jalen Conyers. That's the thing is like ASU probably has like one of the better skill position groups in the, in the Pac-12 with, Scadaboo, Badger, and Conyers, who are all one of the best in their respective positions. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, ASU got some some transfers over the offseason that they've been trying to mix in. O'Meara is still ball. Um, Sanders was a guy who was good last year, but um, hasn't really done as much in this year. So you've got a bunch of guys who um, Borgay can't throw to, um, and that's why he has been somewhat successful in his tenure so far this season. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it should be it should be really fun. Looking forward to next year um, when you know maybe you can get a healthy Rashada back. Maybe you can get you know some of these other guys to come back and you know kind of run it back with Billy because Billingham has done a great job, as you know from Oregon, has been able to really instill um, just a boost of energy into the squad. Moving on to the defense, you know, we we talk about the skill position players being huge. The defense to me has been kind of the most surprising unit because I. <laughs> Weirdly enough, as I've said on Cracksmack a couple times this year, I've watched a lot of ASU football because it feels like they are putting other teams on upset alert every week. And the defense is, has really impressed me this year. I feel like they're they're constantly getting to the quarterback. And, and more than anything, they're just constantly coming up in big spots. What have you seen on the defensive end from the Sun Devils this year? What's What, what are kind of the strengths and weaknesses of this defense? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at this defense, the first thing that comes to my mind is the performance that they had against Washington, Michael Penix, who at that time was the Heisman favorite in Seattle. And, I mean, they only gave 15 points, and, heck, six of those were off of pick six. So, um, you know, the defense was absolutely stellar um, in that. And you mentioned strengths and weaknesses. Um, one of the biggest weaknesses, at least early on in the season, was the lack of turnovers. Um, they had one turnover against USC, um, but that was really just the – Caleb Williams fumbling the snap and wasn't really anything the ASU defense necessarily did to enforce that. But um, talk about that Washington game, had a couple of picks off of Penix. And I mean, look, that really kind of changed their season a little bit in terms of the turnover department. And, you know, they've been producing all year. It's just the turnover kind of at the beginning of the year. We're a little lower than you expect. I think they're starting to, you know, come back to the mean a little bit. And 
yeah, the defense is the best part about this team. Brian Ward has done an excellent job in his first year as a DC for ASU. And I mean, he got rewarded for that by getting a three-year extension. So, um, you know, props to him for that and for being able to do a lot with his defense. But yeah, like you said, just rush the quarterback and I mean, only get seven points to UCLA last week, right on their third string quarterback. But still, a kid from Kent State that uh, was one of the better transfers. And, it's been pretty good for ASU. One of the things that I've been most impressed by, kind of the the intangibles of, of ASU that I've seen so far, is just their ability to game plan for different teams in different ways, right? We, going up against Washington, it was clear they, they they wanted to slow the pace down. It seems like they're always reliant on their defense, but again, they're able to, to game plan for each team differently. And I mean, really, it's worked. Being able to, with I, what we can all kind of agree, is, is a relatively large talent differential in some of these games against a USC um, against a Washington where it's just it, it feels like they are the better coach team and they're they're the more uh, ready team for the challenge what does what does Oregon have to do kind of this weekend or what does ASU have to do I should say to take down Oregon Oregon stuff man they're a wagon as you know I think when you look at the pac as a whole um, I might make the claim that a team like Arizona is the hottest, but when you look at Oregon, I mean, they've been hot all year, Greg, getting the one loss to Washington, but even recently with what they did to Utah and USC, like, they've, they've been hot, but ASU doesn't really seem phased um, really at all in their high-profile matchups. I mean, you mentioned USC early in the year. That was at a point where USC was rolling, Caleb Williams was still getting the love from everybody and USC was at the top of the world. And I thought, Oh, <clears throat> they're just going to come into Tempe and they're just going to roll ASU. And, you know, it's family weekend. Like I'm going to watch that game with my mom and I'm going to cry basically with her, but no, they came in and I mean, they were able to make it a competitive game the entire time. And you look at, you know, same thing. Oh, they're going up to Seattle. Oh, okay. They're definitely going to lose this one. Like there's no chance that they win in Seattle against probably the best team in pack. Well, they should have won that game, quite frankly, after the way it played out. So, I mean, overall, you look at Oregon, and they're such a tough test, but with a home game for ASU, and it's, it's, I don't think they're, I don't think they really care. I think uh, Billy Hammond always says in his press conferences, nobody cares, and I think that really means a lot when it comes to when you got a team like Oregon coming in doesn't really phase them. They're just going to play the way they do, and they know they have one of the best defenses in the conference, and they're going to try to stop Ole Nick as much as they can. Moving on to volleyball, because we did say we would talk a little volleyball today. Uh, man, Arizona State volleyball is, like, really good. And I – they – you know, I don't I don't know – Actually, I want to. I want to hear what was what was the perception of the team coming into this year? Did people think they were going to be this good? Did people think that on November fifteenth, twenty eight matches into the year, into the year, they would be twenty four and four? Not at all. Um, you look at last year, ASU had a losing record in women's volleyball, and then they fired their coach. They gave JJ Van Neel assistant from USC. And uh, it's a lot of the same girls from last year. Um, so, you know, you lost Iman Asanovich, who was a senior and, you know, probably your best player. But you still get, you know, a lot of the girls back. You get, you know, some transfers in. And, you know, I mean, I think people probably thought they'd be, like, middle of the pack. Like, okay, you know, you got a new coach. Maybe they could be a little bit better. But, I mean, they're not going to be a tournament team necessarily. But 
they start off the year 14 and 0 and people are saying oh well they just played a weak non-conference like they're not really that good well then they go in the pack hole play beat your Oregon Ducks up in Eugene sweep them in three sets and then come down and then uh Stanford comes down to Tempe number three team in the country they get swept in three sets so I mean clearly ASU has demonstrated that they're one of the best teams in the pack. And as we all know, if you're one of the best teams in the pack, you're one of the best teams in the country when it comes to volleyball. And so, yeah, I mean, the there weren't that many expectations coming into this year, but I think J.J. Van Neel is a little ahead of schedule. Um, and, you know, normally you like to think, oh, well, you know, first year as a coach, you know, it's probably going to be their worst year. They have to have a couple of years under them to get their recruits and transfers, but hasn't really been the case. And, uh, I mean, it's a really senior-led group. I think that's a big part of it, too. And maybe next year they falter a little bit because they're going to lose some of their seniors. But right now, this is a special group, and they can do some damage. Yeah, they they really don't have any bad losses. Like, looking at the schedule, getting swept by number three Stanford at home, is, is that's not a bad loss. The Oregon State loss, okay, but that's a five-setter away. Boulder is an unbelievable, unbelievably difficult place to play against a solid Colorado team, and then you know the USC loss isn't isn't great, but still that's a way. Like this is this is a really really good team without many holes, um, in their schedule. I I I mean I, honestly I feel like you kind of you kind of answered all of my all, all of my questions in your spiel there, so so thank you. Um, what's the what's the outlook for the rest of the year for for the Sun Devils uh, on the hardwood? Because Again, like you said, I don't think people expected before the season this to be a tournament team. At this point, they're a lock. How, how far do you think this team can go? Yeah, I mean, look, I think when you get to the tournament, anything can happen, right? But, um, you know, I, I like ASU's chances. I mean, they've demonstrated that they can beat some of the top teams in the country. Now, I am a little curious to see when it comes to the tournament what they look like against teams from other conferences, as I mentioned. A little bit of a weak non-conference, but that was also earlier in the season, and you know maybe not necessarily the same squad as it was earlier. I think there's a lot of cohesion that happens over the course of the season, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think they're coming in dangerous, coming in hot. Like I said, senior week this week for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these girls, and they're gonna want to, they're not gonna want to lose, and uh, when they before they have to leave. So I mean, I'm think, I'm thinking this is gonna be a pretty good pretty good run for them I mean I don't know if they'll win it necessarily but they, they they'll definitely have a strong showing for sure Oregon will face the Sun Devils in Tempe on Friday at 6 p.m. KWVA will be on the call as will I believe another CCL guy right Jonah Krell is the voice of of volleyball for for Cronkite if I'm Jonah not Krell, yes sir well Justin thank you so much for joining us uh for for you personally what's what's been your your fall what what is your fall looks like uh covering Arizona sports what have you been up to yeah, so um, I just wrote my first article um, for one of the clubs we have here at Cronkite. Um, I cover uh, men's basketball for ASU, and so you can check that out at Cronkite Sports. And uh, I mean, look, if you want to read my articles, just I don't know, just check out my Twitter at the Justin DeHaas, and uh, you can just see some of the cool stuff um, I'm doing. We also got a new show for our radio station at Cronkite. It's called Four on Four. It's got four experts on the four major sports and stuff Fridays. Is it, is it my four favorite people at Cronkite? It is your four favorite people at Cronkite. It is my three roommates and myself. So, um, yeah, we have it Fridays. Um, it's noon our time, which means it's going to be 11 a.m. Pacific, and it goes from noon to 1 or 11 to 12 or whatever time zone you're in. It's in that range. So, um, yeah, you can check those out. But that's just kind of what I'm doing right now. 
I was gonna tell you to to plug your Twitter and plug your work, and I didn't <laughs> didn't even have to. You knew I was already gonna do it. I, you don't have to promise. I knew that. I knew it was coming. Justin, thank you so much for for coming on the show today. I miss you a ton. Glad you're doing well. Thanks for talking some Sun Devil Sports. All right, thank you for having me. All right, that was Justin DeHaas from Cronkite Sports. Always awesome to have Justin on. We're going to step aside for about five minutes. When we come back, we're going to talk some Oregon football. On the other side of this break, you're listening to Quackstock on 88.1. KWVA. KWVA. The Skate Park Project, formerly the Tony Hawk Foundation, is a skateboarding organization that helps communities build public skate parks for youth in underserved communities. To date, nearly 600 recipients of the Skate Park Project grants have opened their skate parks. These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.org. More American Indians live in poverty than any other racial or ethnic group. Since 1989, the American Indian College Fund has helped thousands of young men and women begin a path out of poverty as students at tribal colleges. As more American Indians see a college education as a way out of poverty, full-time college enrollment continues to rise, along with a continued need for support. Help a student, help a tribe. Learn more at tribalcollege.org. A public service message from the American Indian College Fund. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. What up, son? This is Colin Deaver, former sports director at KWVA 88.1 Eugene. And you're listening to Quack Smack. Back on Quack Smack for the last 21 minutes, approximately. Austin Oda, Beck Parsons, Ben Schoenfield. Football time! Football. Football. Go. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, USC weekend last weekend. You know, nine point win that felt bigger than a nine it point win. Definitely felt bigger. Oh yeah. Um, but also felt like it should have been more than feeling like bigger than a nine point win. Does that make sense? You know what I'm trying to say? Yep. Like it feels like Oregon should have really dominated the game. It doesn't feel like they did. Floor is open. Floor is yours. <laughs> I mean, obviously, um, USC had the. They scored last. They halved what was. Um, a much larger deficit, but um, I think the biggest story is that Bonex has continued to look incredible. He had his highest uh, QBR he's had all year, uh, which was 96. Uh, that's phenomenal. It's about as high as anyone's getting him this year. Yeah. Um, four touchdowns, 
no interceptions, just slinging it. Um, completion percentage was up well above 70% again, like it's been all year. Has he had a game that hasn't been above 70? I think he – I think it's every no. game this year he has been over he – has, He has been above 70 in he's all. Been, because he set the Oregon single-season record for completion percentage last yeah. year, and every game this year he has been over that number. I believe he's currently – He's currently uh, tracking for a record for completion percentage in a yeah. season. In the NCAA. Yeah, I think it's funny. I, I want you. I want you guys to continue, but I think it's funny, kind of seeing the the rise and fall and the importance of completion percentage. Where it felt like there was like a period of time where people just like stopped caring about yeah. it, and now it's like, oh, okay, this is impressive. Like we get. I, I think we can all admit, like Bo Nix is is really really good. He's a really really good player. Good at football, but he doesn't really have to make the the same throw. He, he's not asked to make the same throws that someone like. Michael Penix or Caleb William does first of all because you you know you could argue that his his receivers are better and he gets more time in the pocket, um, but like he's so efficient. It's uh, continue. Yeah. Uh, back to the USC game. I do feel like it seemed like it was going to be a seventeen point game. It, they had a missed field goal, two missed extra two point or two two point conversions that they did not succeed on. So that's. Seven points right there would have made it a 16-point game, which was the spread. But I thought the spread was – It was 16 and a half. They actually dropped it, I think, to 14 and a half okay. right before the game. But well, yes, then it would have been more than the spread right. if they got what they were looking for. But also on that first two-point conversion, they had their fourth-string quarterback and, like, their BT. holder. Like, it, it's kind of like they weren't expecting to go for it, but were at the same time. Just did it anyway. Yeah, and – so I do feel like it seemed so much more like a blowout going into the fourth quarter, but that third quarter wasn't the best for the Oregon offense. They kind of just slowed down and said, we have this game. Right. We don't need a blowout. It would be nice for a blowout. but And adversely, that was kind of when SC started to really yeah. speed up. And that's, that's, a, that's a nervous feeling as a fan in the stadium to see <coughs> – to see the team you're supporting right. kind of start to fall off as the other one's coming up. Um, you know, thankfully, I think Oregon did look really, uh, really, really good. Um, I think Oregon fans especially were kind of expecting a blowout just because Oregon fans have heard so much about USC's defense. Because USC kind of sucks. Yeah. That, that's what it is. The defense, like, they, got rid of, they got rid of Alex Grinch um, <coughs> before this game, which yeah. may have actually helped them. I, I think, I think it helped a little bit. It really didn't look horrible after. Yeah. After the, the two big touchdowns. <laughs> Besides defensive back tackling, right. which yeah. has never looked worse. No. I think the fact that Bo Nix went two for two for 161 yeah, and two touchdowns for his first two passes in the game. His QBR was like 1096 or something like that at one point. It was <laughs> like, really? Yeah, it was. Uh, it might have been just like like a – Millions and billions. <laughs> right, right. But it was, it was something crazy. Averaging 78 yeah. and a half yards or 79 yards a pass – for the first two passes. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's not like either of those were just like slants the receivers no. took. Like he he did their the Tez one specifically, like, you know, that was that was in that was deep almost over the middle the coverage. coverage. Yeah. yeah. Um but he turned so good. Tez spun move, Troy just looked dead on yeah. and the defender just started running towards the Troy with the little uh the little black mamba shout out. Yeah. Having that guy turning around the wrong way. Troy's so awesome. good to see. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about Troy Franklin. So I, I know he's so I know good. he's not on so the underrated. One, but like why why not, right? Cuz at this point he is I think 100 yards from having the greatest statistical season by a receiver in Oregon history and I mean he's he's going to get like easily he's the best averaging 100 a game, right? 
Yeah, he's averaging 147. He's, he's just been and more than one, <coughs> more slightly more than one touchdown as well. Right, and he like this is a guy that should be a first rounder. Why is why is he not getting more first round buzz? What 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 can he do more? Because he's got the size. He's 6'3", 180, but he also is the fastest receiver in college football. He's the only receiver to hit over 21 miles an hour on multiple plays this year. He went he got up to 22-3. He ran over 22 miles an hour. He would get like pulled over in some places for being that fast. Like this is this school zone limit almost <laughs> almost almost Tariq Wollen levels. He is <coughs> he is unbelievable and I I like I don't know what he can do to raise his draft stock more because at this point with Troy Franklin, it feels like we've seen everything. I think we just have to keep seeing it. I think that's been this what this what's made this Oregon off uh, Oregon team in general so special is we just keep seeing Bo have a fantastic sorry Oregon keeps seeing Bo have a fantastic game. Um, the defense as well there um, has looked pretty good yeah. against everybody. I mean, can you can you think of a time except maybe the UW game where you're like, oh defense, Attack. come on Texas Tech, Tech. but yeah. that, that's but early. But even, it's, right, it's, it's an away early exactly. trap game. Um, I think, with the exception of special teams, Oregon has looked just <laughs> blindingly consistent. It, they're the only team in the nation to score 30 points every single game this season. Yeah, they. That is just, even in a loss, they scored 33. Yeah. They're the only team. Like Washington. <coughs> and we could have scored 40 plus in that Yeah, loss. Oregon definitely could have scored 40-45 uh, in that game if they hit a field goal at certain times. And not even talking about the last one, right. but like, even I feel like Oregon's the only team that you haven't seen the offense have an actually bad game. Yeah, I mean, no, no off days. I like they didn't have I the struggle to think of what it would be. <coughs> they didn't like really have the trap game against Arizona State that Washington had. You know, they didn't have the game against Oregon that Utah had. Yeah, and also like going to LSU scored seventeen in their first game. Right. Florida State just barely beat. Miami this past week and these are teams that are talked about like they're so good and so crazy and yet Oregon's offense has just been the most consistent and even high flying at times like you I think this year is less noticeable of a high flying than it was last year but they just put up so many yards they're averaging like it's like somehow a quiet 35 points a game yeah yeah, they're yeah forty. They're averaging forty six points a game this year. They're still number one in the nation. It's just it's crazy. <laughs> so I think the the biggest thing that kind of went under the radar for me coming into the year was I was not expecting the receiving core outside of Troy Franklin to be this good, because yeah, I did Tez not Johnson Tez. put up awesome numbers at Troy, which Troy is fine. Troy is, is good. They had a really good year last right, year. And the, the, it's a, it's a good team, but you don't expect a guy to come from the Sun Belt to immediately be a, you know, a top ten receiver in the Pac-12. Okay, top so ten. <laughs> I, he's been awesome. He's, he's been, he's been very good. Seven hundred thirty yards in top ten. Right. That I think <laughs> the thing the thing Oregon fans heard the most when Tez came over is it's Bo Nix's right. like half brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. We kind of just left the Oregon fans left it at that, and Tez has, has been amazing. He's that Cal game. He's looked like he totally belongs. He, he's he's been unguardable at times and even past that right last year it was troy franklin t ferg had a really nice year last year and then it was chris hudson chase coda who you know was okay but i I think he was still under 500 yards last year if i'm not mistaken last year (coughs) pulling up the receiving stats it was troy franklin with 891 yards 
and then Chase Codewith under 500, Chris Hudson under 500. Those two combined had three touchdowns. Like, it, it wasn't a great receiving core last year. It felt like it was because Troy Franklin was awesome and Tabonix was having a great year. And I think part of the reason he hasn't been asked to run as much this year is because they know they can rely on – Oregon knows they can rely on their receivers past just Troy Franklin where they have three guys open every play because <laughs> the scheme is so good and because the receivers are so good. It, it's just awesome. The team is so good. This, it, it's it, so It good. feels like the team. It, it, it this this is definitely the team even with that one loss they they beat Arizona State on uh Saturday and they have a great game against Oregon <coughs> State which yeah. is a tough opponent I am Oregon this is State's probably so the now. best uh quote unquote civil war that these two teams have had in a long time probably since Chad Johnson was at Oregon State going out with a bang yeah but so this is going to be a great end of the season. Hopefully, we'll just see. We'll just have to see what the other top five teams are doing. I have kind of. Sorry, what were you saying? I just had a question um, to, for you guys to ponder. Yeah. Out of about the top, the top Tell six. Christian the way we ponder. Top six is pretty defined. I remember Christian Ponder. Yeah. The old Madden games. Yeah. I played the Vikings a lot against <laughs> the Vikings. They were okay. not very good. <laughs> anyway, out of uh, out of the top six teams. Uh, which fan base, which team do you think feels the most nervous right now? Because I don't think it's, it's Oregon. Florida State. I'd say it's probably Florida State. Yeah. Because I think either Florida State or Washington. I think Washington. Because I think I think Florida State knows that they're not that good. Like Florida State is fine. They're they're fine. They're whatever. I think Washington just because of recent weeks because they really haven't had a great performance in a while. Mm-hmm. Last last. And it feels like the Oregon game trained them where it feels like it fueled Oregon. Last game they really put it together with was Oregon, right. and that was a, te- a game I've, they I've had multiple opportunities to lose. Yeah. I've said this on air a couple of times. I think Washington played their A plus game against Oregon, and Oregon played a B plus A minus game, yeah. and just have shown that they can play better than that. Whereas I don't think Washington has shown through any competition that they can play better than <coughs> they played Oregon. Agreed. How do we feel about uh, skipping the trap question and just going straight into Heisman rankings? Let's Heisman just rankings. do it. Let's, <laughs> Let's do talk it. about the Heisman. Should we go three, two, one, or one, two, three? Let's go with three, two, one. Cool. Our number three Heisman. Actually, I'll open it to you guys. I think it is basically a three-horse race. I would agree. Point. That's kind so of why some I some yeah. honorable yeah. mentions <laughs> that I think will get out of the way. Marvin. Marvin Harrison. Yeah. Playing very well, but not having the kind of Devonte Smith type right. year that you need. Is he the best player in college football? Yeah. Yes. Is, Is he, he the, the Heisman? No. No. He's, he's not even the best quote unquote wide receiver this year, right. stats wise. There's right. Malik Neighbors, Troy. Troy, Troy Franklin is Odunze. almost exactly the same yeah. pace. Odunze, like, and going back to the question of Troy Franklin really quickly. It's. I think he didn't have the hype this year Agreed. that Dunze or Malik Neighbors, Neighbors or right. Harrison had going into the year, which is why I don't think his stock Agreed. has risen quite as much. Yeah, and then you, yeah, then you have other guys like um, like Carson Beck, who's developing now, and his odds are certainly JJ. improving. JJ. Right. Maybe a little too late. JJ, <coughs> I'm not sure JJ has the stats to back no. it up, <laughs> and he's on such a solid team. Yeah. I think we all know Michigan is good everywhere on both sides of the ball. Quorum has almost as many rushing touchdowns as they have passing touchdowns yeah. this season. Yeah. So guys like that, <laughs> Jordan Travis, obviously, is. we just think yeah. FSU is not all the way there. And then you're left with three guys, and I think for us, our pretty much our unanimous number three is going to be Michael Penix Jr. out yeah. of Washington. Uh, obviously, he is leading the um, – 
the passing yards category by well, almost 300 yards. Because yeah, they don't run the ball. Yeah. With they the exception of the USC that, game, yeah. they don't run the ball. I, Which, um, by the way, I, I, I do want you to keep going because sure. I know you've prepped, but it's sad that they haven't run the ball as much because Dylan Johnson is really, yes. really good. Oh, yeah. Um, continue. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I've, um, I've kind of assembled uh, some stats yeah, between our top three I've been yeah, comparing. And the only category out of about 13 of the major quarterback categories, the only uh, category that Michael Penix leads in is passing yards. Um, he's second in terms of yards per completion and yards per attempt. Uh, how much of that is due to UW's scheme and their affinity for throwing the ball 40 yards every single play? Uh, there's probably a lot there. Uh, obviously, Penix having a very good year. The team is undefeated. Um, but the completion percentage is 68%, which is only 15th best. Yeah. Um, Still good. Com- yes, yeah, so obviously. Yeah. But completion percentage is also something our number two and one and two guys do pretty well. Yep. Um, and then, you know, he's he's not a runner at all. He has negative 27 yards on the season. Um, <laughs> and he has the lowest QBR of our three guys. So I've, I've got him stacked in at number three. He's just, I mean, and he's gotten really cold. And I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing for him is think, yeah. even in the USC game, I think he only ended up with 250 yards and two touchdowns. I think he went like 23 for 42. Yeah, like yeah. He, and that was, his, <coughs> that was his best QBR game out of the last four. In these in these last four games, my computer is lagging a little bit. Um, I've compared Bo Nix and Michael Penix. Bo Nix in the last four games is leading Penix in passing yards, uh, average yards, completion percentage, games above seventy percent completion, yards per attempt, passing touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, QBR. Um, Bo Nix's lowest QBR on the season has been like an, would be an above average QBR right. for Michael Penix. And, uh, I'm glad the whole world is kind of coming around to realize. Yeah, Bo except Nicks. for four people in Instagram comments. <laughs> four weeks ago, I think yeah. Bo Nix was seventh or eighth. And Pe- the, Penix was way yeah. up there. Penix was like number one or two. And I even saw sometimes that J.J. McCarthy was number one in Heisman voting. And I'm like, <laughs> no. And then going into last week when he went seven for eight for 60 yards, zero yeah. touchdowns, and they ran the ball okay. 32 times in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> he like, said bet. Right. <laughs> he said, let me hand this ball off. <laughs> Give him the uh, Bengal Branson treatment. <laughs> and that's why Oregon he's not State. on this list. <laughs> right. right. Um, well, number two, I, you know, we I think we, we all have the it's, same guys. Yeah, it's Jordan. a lot closer between one and two. Oh, yes. Jordan Travis, what am I saying? <laughs> Jaden um, Daniels. Jaden Daniels. Yeah. Daniels has... Uh, I think the biggest number is 918 rushing yards, which is 28th among all players. Uh, not only does he have that, he has 30 passing touchdowns, yeah. which is the lead league. Um, the, the league. Sorry. Lead. I'm, I'm more of an NFL guy <laughs> most of the time. Um, he is leading the country yeah, in there passing we go. touchdowns. You said, you said lead league. Yes, I did. We're good. Uh, also, <laughs> also rushing touchdowns. He's got eight. Yeah. So 38 total touchdowns. He's third By in the By the way, those numbers – Rushing Third in the wise. country in receiving. No, no, no I mean, you can <laughs> say that. You said lead league. Oh no, I decided just said it again. Le- I'm oh, wait, league. You, you said, said lead league, league instead okay. of league. Yeah. League. Yeah. Uh, they, they knew. By I the way, those that. rushing numbers are very comparable to Bucky Irving, which is insane. Yeah, if you just he combined would, Bo Nix and Bucky Irving and made would, a quarterback, right, he, he went twelve for two thirty-four. <laughs> yeah. Yes, unbelievable. Er, Continue. Sorry. Spit. Yeah, I um, mean, just his <laughs> numbers look really good. He's. Out of our, he's leading in a lot of them in most categories for uh, for our top three guys, but I just think the record, um, the losses not being particularly losses, close, right. not being the most beautiful losses we've ever seen, 
um, do hold him back. They play was it Georgia Southern? Yeah, this week. No, Georgia, Georgia State. Ta- Georgia. I think State. it's Georgia, no, it's Georgia State. State. It's it's one of the <coughs> less yeah. common ones. Um, so he could. I think they're the Panthers or something. Daniels could very easily have another. Uh, He's probably Heisman going performance. To. He, yeah, he probably could. Yeah. And uh, this could be a very different conversation next week. I think that out of the three, as number one, Bo Nix. Um, yeah. Out of the three, I would be most comfortable if they gave the award to Jaden Daniels. Because I, I, over Bo Nix, I should say. Because I think, uh, we all think Bo is the, 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 the Heisman front runner. My glorious king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand giving it to Jaden Daniels. Where he's, he, I think, is the only one that has kind of those traditional Heisman numbers whatever that means, right. where he has the rushing yards, the rushing touchdowns, and also the passing yards. They pop. He just he, – he, three but losses. Didn't Bo Nix do that last year with 14 <laughs> rushing touchdowns? Yeah, but also I think Oregon's fall off at the end. The injury, too. Really hurt them. Well. Yeah. Right. But yes, the injury <coughs> definitely made him one-dimensional, and the um, the offense with uh, Dillingham's performance definitely struggled but doesn't in those also, last three games. Didn't that also show how much Bo Nix meant to this team last oh, yeah. year? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Bo Nix has been the identity of this team for since he entered the which building. Which is awesome. Which is so great after... I love a little redemption yeah. story. And also love that, like, getting off topic a little bit, but that Ty Thompson has improved so much yeah. this year. Ty's been awesome this year. Under Bo Nix. Like, yeah. last year wasn't quite as good, but that was also his first season under Bo Nix. Right. So um, number one, Bo Nix. Number one is Bo Nix. He just there's only one word that can describe Bo Nix and Bodacious? that's consistency. Oh, Bodacious would definitely. <coughs> I was I was going for consistency. Um, he's been above seventy percent completion in every game this year. As a as a coach, that's all you want is just someone that's reliably yeah. getting the ball out there. Um, he's not. He doesn't have quite the passing numbers that um, Penix or Daniels has, but he's only thirty yards behind uh, Daniels. And he's sixth in the in the nation in passing yards. He's obviously se- he's second in uh, in passing touchdowns with Caleb Williams, who's had a great year, but the team has not, and for that reason, he's off this list. Um, yeah, Bo's just looked incredible. He's he's done the same thing every week, and Oregon just keeps winning. And I think until that stops, yep. until Bo Nix has a bad game or the Ducks have a bad game, Bo Nix will be the Heisman. Yeah. I think, as you said, consistency, and I also think that helps with the offensive line of the Oregon Ducks looking like probably a top three, if not better, offensive line in the country. So good. I love Jackson allowing, Johnson. Allowing four sacks <coughs> for 23 yards on this season. Like, their differential for sack yards given up versus sack yards Crazy. is 261 to 23. We can live with that. <laughs> the Ducks can live with that. <laughs> Which is just... I think that allows Bo Nix to just be so more com- so much more comfortable than having to worry about a blindside rusher. Right. And it shows. Bo's yeah. been awesome. Yeah. And I, I agree. Think that's I think probably – it's interesting to see um, an offensive line improve and the QB rushing numbers go down so yeah. far, but I think that's just a testament to how ridiculously comfortable Bo is in that pocket. I would absolutely agree. That's going to do it for us tonight. Awesome, awesome Wednesday night quack smack great return back to the host cc we will see you tomorrow night it'll be myself and i don't even know who's on next night tomorrow night it's not a director show because two-thirds of the directors will be in arizona but a big thanks to everyone on this show tonight for my host or for my guest and good friend justin dehaas for ben schoenfield and Mac parsons solo galvan holding it down in production my name is oxenota we will see you tomorrow night on quacks night 
been listening to Quack Smack on KWVA. If you miss any portion of the show or just want to listen again, you can find the full show recordings online at kwvaradio.org. Plus, we're on Twitter at KWVA Sports. Join us again for our next episode tomorrow at 6 p.m. right here on KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM.